All right, we are here and hi there. I hope that everyone is on and we are all ready to um, come together to have a conversation. So right now we are just looking for other people to join in and I'm wondering how well you can hear me. So if you are hearing me, you can go ahead and input a message right now. Hmm. Let's also test out any um, um, messaging so you guys can start putting in your messages or say hello. This is uh, my very first live, so this is a pretty cool situation. Um, so I'm hoping that you guys will show up. <laughs> Go ahead and come through and also invite others into the live stream. Just waiting for some other folks to jump on here now. I do see we have some listeners. Who is on and where are you from? If you can type that in so that I can see what is going on or if you are here. I'm still just waiting for a few more people to come on. And today we have um, Lenore Caston Miller with me, which Hello, is my wifey. And this podcast is going to be recorded um, for or this episode will be recorded for future um Archival. listens as well Archival purposes. yes it shall be archived um we are um i also want to just confirm that everyone can hear me so i'm going to since this is our very first live so i'm going to actually see if you will click mm -hmm. that link and go outside and check it out this is tamika kasten miller with think flow grow and with uh, Think, Flow, Grow, this, uh, this um, podcast is really about um, talking about life, uh, talking about um, life as it relates to right now and using the context of history and yoga to give some, give some perspective um, so that we're not just looking at life in this moment. 
And so if you are listening to this live, I'd love to know who you are and where you are from. So please do um, type that in and we'll also be taking some calls. Um, if you enjoy calling and talking, I see Katie is on, yay. Katie from Houston, Texas. Houston is where uh, this is from. And Katie, uh, where our podcast is recorded. Katie, if you want to share the podcast to your people, that would be awesome too. And then everyone gets to enlighten together. And I will do the same. So on this, I was... Um, I decided to go live because, first of all, many of us are stuck at home right now. And um, if you're not stuck at home, I think we're all doing our best to um, be at home because that's the right thing to do um, is to be at home. And um, being at home means that we're putting other people before us. And so a lot of one of the things that came up um, when we first started um being at home is that uh, people who I know to be really great, upstanding, wonderful people um, were really frustrated with having to stay at home. And, um, and I thought to myself, but you, you are a compassionate person. Usually why can't we practice compassion? So yay. And Lenny just tested our live feed and I know that we are good. So yay, so she's going to come back in and um, now so that we can go ahead and start. So we are in this time of uh, pandemic and the coronavirus. And I say that because this, this episode will be archived and we are not going to be in this situation of pandemic forever. And so it's important for us to, to understand that this is, this is where we are right now and it's not where we're always going to be. Um, I was talking with Lenny and the reason why Lenny is on is because we were actually talking about, you know, um, what happens now and what will be happening as we are uh, in pandemic, like what, what does life look like after that? And a person asked me, what will our lives look like? Actually, two or three people asked me within the span of 48 hours, what do you think life looks like when all of this is over? And so I thought to myself, well, what does it look like right now? Why are we so interested in, in making it over? What can we, what, happen, what happens right now is going to um, show us a lot about what will happen later. So, um, Lenny, just from you and what do you guys think, audience, but from you, what do you think happens after all this is over? I mean, I was, I was speaking with um, our friend Jackie earlier this morning. <clears throat> and, you know, like, if you look at history, you know, there's a pandemic or a great famine or something and in the midst of all that, like, you know, some people go a little, a little nuts and worried and, you know, like, ah, all hell's breaking loose. And then other people just kind of stayed the course. And then, you know, it's just basically like everyone's individual sad shadow selves comes into like full self-expression, mm -hmm. which isn't a bad thing. It just, it's just a thing. 
And, you know, it's a good way to know, like, where you need to work and where you don't need to work as far as doing self-work. Um, and then afterwards, you know, there's usually a time of rebuilding in society. It will, you know, it. when all this is over, I don't feel like it's going to be like how, how society was, you know, a month, even a month ago where everything was all hunking door and just moving around. I feel there's going to be like a rebuild or like a reset if you deem to call it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some things will be shifted. Some things will be the same, but regardless, you know, it, it'll, society will bounce back and be stronger than before. And because history has shown us that. Yeah. I think so. it's really hard for people to think about right now. What, I, I think that there's this this proclivity, natural proclivity to be romanticizing the past and um, and trying to sort out what the future looks like. Um, and there's also something to be said for being right here in this moment. But one thing that we can do by reflecting on history is exactly what you said. Know that, you know, that the world continues. Yeah. Um, so for, and, and there are some things that are birthed out of those, those situations. Um, so I have surmised that there are essentially five things that are going to come out of this pandemic and, and like, and, and, and true Tamika fashion, um, I have to, of course, um, you know, I, I, I there's alliteration involved, <laughs> <laughs> because for me, there's always alliteration involved. So um, the first thing that I, I realized, well, the five things are death, divorce, depression, addiction, and awakening. And these are the things that I have realized, I, I believe is, is going to happen. Hi, Chris, I see you. And I also see um, PBG77C982GYP5, whoever that is. So what's your name and where are you currently? What's your name and where are you located is my question to you. I see Chris from Houston is here. Um, yeah, Katie said those are some heavy outcomes. They are heavy outcomes. But, um, but I, I think they all... Um, I think that the more discussion is needed r around them as well. So when it comes to death, um, for me, death is 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 more than just death. I mean, de I mean, obviously, death is going to come out of this. We've already seen it, mm -hmm. but we also, but death is beyond just the physical death. And so um, I think there, there could be a lot of death of, of joy as well. Um, but, but for sure, physical death is, is, is there. It's already happening. We already know that's going to happen. Um, and, um, and the fear of death, I think, is also increasing. And so, and that in, a, in and of itself leads to a death because there's a death of, death, death of, a, of joy. There's death of hope. There's death of so many, there, there are so many different ways that we can die. Um, and, and I think that we need to be really aware of um, what my daughter said, um, pre-grieving. 
And actually, I called uh, pre-grieve. I, I termed this uh, this this pre-grieving when I was um, coping with the diagnosis of my mother's Alzheimer's, um, early onset Alzheimer's, which which goes a lot faster than than regular Alzheimer's. And you know, it was like pre-grieving death, and there's a lot of that pre-grieving that happens, and so it prolongs the grief grief process. And we think that it's actually going to make it easier, but it, it doesn't. You still have to go through that whole grief process you're going to go through anyway. So another family member was diagnosed with like stage four cancer. And when he was diagnosed, um, I went into that pre-grieving mode again. Um, and my daughter was like, why are, why are we crying over something that actually hasn't yet happened? I mean, there's a diagnosis, but there's not a death yet. And I was like, you know what? That's true. Like I can celebrate the relationship with that I have with him without having to be fearful for him um, because it creates a death of a relationship, you know, and um, and um, or a death of joy with, the, with that relationship and almost a distance in that relationship because we don't want to get any closer. So I think it's important for us to acknowledge that death will happen, um, but it's not necessarily happening in this moment unless we let it. Or unless, of course, you're actually physically dying. But <laughs> I don't want to dismiss the fact that there's actual physical death. But I'm saying that, you know, that if there's not actual physical death, then we're actually creating death by being in that space of death before it happens. And yeah, I mean, I think that it's a, it's a thing. Um, Pre-grieving what we're going to lose. Pre-grieving how life will look different. Um, and we, we really don't, we don't have to do that right now. Um, do you have any other thoughts on death, Lenny? Mm, I mean, essentially it's just like when you go through... Um, so some may know, um, but I was in the Iraqi war, so I came back with some traumas and I went through a lot of, um, self, um, healing through, uh, mental health and other sorts of things for that. But during, um, some of my lessons that I learned, you know, like there's assumptions that, um, the world is safe, that I'm a good person. And there's a few other assumptions, but along those lines, what you were talking about with the death, it's essentially the shattering of those assumptions, mm. those unspoken assumptions of life. And that basically you're in a safe world, you're a good person that, you know, as long as I'm doing what's right, everything's going to be right in the world. Mm. But when big um, pandemics or natural disasters or things like that come in and they rip it from you, that's where a traumatic um, events take their hold because you're the assumptions you've had the held truths of life are shattered in that instant in that moment and that's what I feel a lot of people they're feeling for the first time in their life so that's why they're freaking out so hard in my opinion mm. you know I hadn't actually thought about that uh, concept which I understand Think, I know you've helped me understand that that is that is where like trauma gets stored mm -hmm. um, is by the actual shattering of the reality, yeah. not necessarily the 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 event itself, but the fact that that reality was shattered. Yeah. And then every time you have another event or another 
being stacked on top of it, it they become like trauma clusters. Mm. So the only way to heal those is you heal the main cluster and you, in hopes that most of them will fall off and then you have to go back in later as things boil back up and then redo the process to heal some more. So it's a, it's a continuing process of healing the trauma, even though the trauma may have just happened once or a couple of small little traumas that ended up seeding into a big issue in your life later on. I can definitely um, see how that's happening for me because I know that I've had, you know, I have very much this um, desire to protect my older friends or my friends who have comorbidities um, that, I, you know, I, I want to protect them. And I, I think it's, it's because I couldn't protect mom. You know, and it, and so that that it, it is a cluster of trauma or it, it becomes one. Um, Chris is saying how much this resonates. And, um, you know, for, for me, I think that, um, and Katie is mentioning too, you know, these traumas, they layer and then it gets really tough to break up those layers because we didn't realize that even I think sometimes the first layer was there. Yeah. And exactly. so then we have to then like peel those layers off. Um, but that's where the self work comes in. And honestly, that's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is the self work to undo my traumas from war. War was a piece of cake in the light of all of the self work I've had to do to undo war. Hmm. So the work is, is yet to come. Yeah. And, you know, it'll, it'll be a continuation. It's not like a, I, I did my work. I'm good. I'm feeling good. Not like that. It'll come back up in the weirdest ways. Like you'll be, think you'll have everything taken care of and knocked out. And then a year or two later, you're like, oh, I, I handled this. Why is this coming up? But mm -hmm. not, nah, it's just because little triggers that you don't even know, it'll just come up in the weirdest ways. And, you know, it, it could be like when we're talking about the spectrum of trauma, it could be anything. It could be like real severe trauma or it could be something that is just, you know, simplified um, where the media, just all this constant bombardment of how like the world's ending and how like you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, like even that can just be, you know, a trauma trigger for somebody. And I think the media really takes advantage of that. Well, that's because the media, their, their whole, like, MO is ratings. Ratings get sold by... Selling fear. By selling fear, by selling um, issues. You mm -hmm. know, like, no one really gets excited about, oh, well, the kitten was saved in the tree today. You <laughs> yeah, know, like, no one cares about the saved kitten or the cute dog. You know, that, that's... that's <laughs> last 10 minutes to like lighten the load at the mm -hmm. end of the news cycle mm -hmm. you know what really sells is the fear the fear mongering the oh if you go by this it'll save you you know like that sort of thing yeah and i think that people actually i think that we also get into the mode of of getting really bad news and then waiting for uh, a happy ending because that's the way that the cycles of media have told us that that life works is that there is a there is a huge there's a uh, a horrible event and then we wait we we wait for it to get really bad we wait for 
um, all of that information to come in. And then we, we expect this happy ending because media have trained us to think that way. Um, and what we don't understand, and not just media, but life. I mean, media is really only a f reflecting what they know is an addictive pattern within ourselves, which is uh, for good or for ill, we do have an, a, an, an addiction to trauma because it's so a part of our daily lives. We expect, we expect for things, I think, to happen, bad things to happen too. Well, if you look at the archetypes, there's 12 archetypes that every person has, but there's three or four that every person has in common. So um, one of those archetypes is addiction. So everyone yeah. has a, an addictive part of their personality, mm -hmm. just like, but that addiction, it shows up in diff different forms in every person. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not about this bringing out the addiction. No, it's, it's about this is because we're sequestered at home, you know, everything's being thrown in our face right now. It's like literally being shown the mirror of our shadow self. Yeah. And it's our job, and I feel, to recognize that and be like, all right, am I going to play into my shadow self? Am I going to work on my shadow self? Or I'm just going to like, hi, Need I'm Lenny's shadow self. We're, we're going to meet in the middle. We're going to sit together. And then maybe later I'll I'll, address I'll deal with you, yeah. And actually, Katie um, um, uh, agreed and and on the layers and how um, layers like these traumas they layer up and then they become difficult to to break up. And also, um, Chris um, mentioned that 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 self work. Um, is an everyday calling to healing. Mm -hmm. um, I love uh, the way that that was phrased because it shows us that every day is a day to show up for healing, mm -hmm. which also means that every every day is an opportunity to step into to possible trauma. You know, so I think acknowledging that we've got the that that you know realm of trauma and healing that's possible in every day, it kind of gives us a perspective that we, we're going to have some things happen that are, that are not kind. And we also have an opportunity to enlighten. Um, Katie mentioned that what's scariest to her is that um, we're in the calm before the storm um, and that it's going to get really tough and scary. And, um, and I think the media um, helped create those little triggers mm -hmm. like Chris was saying as well um, in the in the live feed um, and we don't notice those little triggers so I would push back to Katie and say how do we know that this is going to get really tough and really tough we, we actually don't know what it's going to be tomorrow um, we only know what's what is going to be right now um, because we're not in tomorrow we're in right now I think that when we start becoming really fearful and anxious about tomorrow is when we can step back and acknowledge that we are, we are living in this, um, um, traumatized, uh, presumptive next moment that we're, we're not actually living in the, in the present moment. And I don't say that to diminish, um, what is going on in other areas. I just say that to say that for me and my most, uh, difficult states coming to the present was what gave me the opportunity to step into role of observer. 
so that I didn't have to um, relive something from the past or pre-grieve something for the future. I was just able to actually see something for what it was right now. And so, um, yeah, and I think that that ability to be observer, which is what you were talking mm -hmm. about, um, is really important for now because if we don't have it, then we will continue um, this cycle of fear, anxiety, pre-grieving, and death of of our hopes and dreams because we're we're too we're too close to a situation that we're not even yet in, which is death. We're create then we create the death um, by doing that and by um, not acknowledging past triggers that are or past traumas that are coming up and. I don't know either that we get to resolve those traumas right now. I think I think really it's just to acknowledge that right now, what is happening right now in this moment and what am I truly afraid of? There's uh, There are people who I know who have family members who are struggling with a lot of um, comorbidities, you know, like, um, you know, diabetes or heart disease or a combination of the things, high cholesterol, um, MS, um, and, you know, just a, a whole bunch of different things. And I think the, the question um, for, for them is how to, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what the question is for them. If you have any of those comor comorbidities, please go ahead and, and either call in and speak to that question or, um, or um, put it in the comments in the live thread. Um, but I know that for family members who are dealing with, who are, who are living with the family member with that comorbidity, there's a lot of fear right now um, that, um, that, that, that is being experienced um, because of, of, of the fear just around losing a person who is vulnerable right now. Um, and so that leads me to the next, um, the next one. So we talked about death and the next of the five outcomes of the pandemic, I think are divorce or is divorce. And by divorce, I, I definitely do believe that there will be divorces that come out of this because people are living with people on a constant basis and everyone's shadows are out or are just around the bend, ready to come out. And so for, for some folks, that's going to be a first time dealing with that other person's or that loved one's, that partner's um, shadow. And um, some of us are really, really great. Many of us are really, really great at hiding our true selves or our, our shadow selves because we don't even realize it's there. Um, as Lenny, as you were saying, either because of trauma or and having to to actually cope and put put those or you know wh whatever that is well, a like a lot of people <clears throat> haven't been put in a position to recognize that mm -hmm. they're they're functioning in a shadow or non-shadow self because they don't have the vocabulary or the the knowledge about that part of self-work well and i think i think so like for example we've talked about shadow we've dropped this word without giving it real uh, definition but for me i'm speaking from a jungian psychology a psychology perspective of the shadow self being the this the part that the id the the part that is hidden the part that is either repressed or suppressed or 
oftentimes through being oppressed. Um, and uh, in the yoga world, not the yoga world, but in the spiritual community, um, oftentimes is called as the un, unresolved self or the unenlightened self. Um, and that, and that's that part of ourselves that we have either hidden on purpose or by accident and is hidden in the psyche. It's deep within it's in inside of the id or the, the inner part of us. Um, and, um, and what we show to the world is the ego self or the, that's the, the part of ourselves that we're willing to show. And it's the mask, it's the external self. Um, so it's the opposite of that external self is deep within. And we all have shadow selves and some of us know what's in our shadows and some of us don't because again, if you don't know that you have a shadow self, you don't know to look for it. But according to Jungian psychology, the shadow self will come out when we are, when there, when inebriation is involved, um, when exhausted or when fearful. So when all, any of those three things comes out, then that is when the shadow self shows up. And oftentimes what I have witnessed and what I've done even myself is said, oh, my, my bad, the bad part of me came out or whatever. And it's actually the part that has always been there, but just we did not realize um, was there because we, we're, we blame it on being tired or we blame it on being hungry. We blame it on being angry. Also anger is one of the portals of the shadow. We blame it on being angry and not being ourselves in that moment. We blame it on being drunk or high or whatever. And, um, and actually that is a true part of our nature that actually just needs to come out so that we can bring the shadow into, we can resolve it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go away. We just know what it is. Well, because it's the mirror to your, to your, to, to your the ego outs, self, outs, outs, uh, exterior self. So it's, it's not, it's like, you know, when you walk out in the sun and you, you know, you, you see your hand, but then you see your shadow on the ground, you know, you can't have one without the other. Whenever you're in the light, you will always have a shadow. Yeah. And there's nothing and the, the, it's not, it's not that the bad there's the people shroud this with like a badness, but it's not a bad thing is that it is a necessary thing to know. It's and the yin to the yang, the balance of life. Well, it's the yang to the yin actually. Well, maybe it is the yin to the yang because yin would be. But anyway, <laughs> but one of the things that we we do not know is that this this negative self or what that we call negative comes out and it becomes a negative thing because it hasn't been dealt with or identified before. And so it just like comes out like imagine, you know, someone who has been in a cave and has been hidden away, hasn't seen light hasn't been fed, and all of a sudden that cave opens, of course, of course that person's going to come out in, in its worst iteration. And that's exactly what the shadow does when it has been hidden. And so when, and, but if you, if you feed it, even if, if, even if that person's in the cave, but you feed the person, you expose that, that, that cave person to light, you give them some heat, you give them some love, you, you acknowledge them, then when they come out, they're still going to be human. That human self is still going to come out. And so right now, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that cave self 
breaking out like the the Kool-Aid man breaking through the wall and just like coming out and being like, I'm here, you know, and I see, you know, lots of arguments and dissolutions of relationships um, um, and divorces because people are not going to be able to handle that. We already know that there are increased, um, there's increased uh, physical violence, increased domestic violence. We already know that that's happening. That's already been reported. And so, you know, the, the perhaps that's an, a first onset situation because, you know, you're in this situation in which you're sequestered with another person. Um, the prime minister of New Zealand, who is just a fantastic leader in person, um, she was saying, you know, choose your, your four people you're going to, or you choose your people you're going to be around for the next four weeks very carefully because you're going to be together. You're going to be, um, cause they're going on a scheduled shutdown of the country for four solid weeks. And she did it so brilliantly just saying, Hey, look, you're going to be around these people. This is your community for this, your tribe for the next four weeks and choose them carefully. Um, which I think is so important because some of us just engage with people all willy-nilly. Anywho, when it comes to people coming together, then it's like, oh crap, like I'm, I'm seeing you for the very first time. And um, I think that, and I remember having that moment with, with my starter marriage. <laughs> when, I, when I saw my, my now ex-husband, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing him for the very first time and I don't like what I see. Um, and it was downhill from there. Like divorce was imminent from there. Um, as opposed to us, you know, which just earlier today, I was like, you know, it's, it's, this is, this is so beautiful that we're able to be quarantined together and, and still like each other, you know, at the end of it. Now, I mean, of course, have we had our tiffs? Yes. You know, have things been stressful? Yes. But, um, you know, I wouldn't choose anyone else to do this quarantine with. So. No, you're right. Yeah, I, well, you'll live. Um, <laughs> but divorce is definitely uh, uh, there. And I think when we go beyond the marital construct and we look at friends, I think definitely friendships will end as well. Um, well, I also think, I think it's interesting that you put death in divorce because <clears throat> just like we were talking about, um, a few minutes ago with, um, the death of assumptions, you know, in a way that's also a divorce of think of things that you've held true or things you can also think of it as like, when you do see your shadow shelf, you know, what are you, what do you want to keep with you? What do you not want to keep with you? So it's like actually deciding when you're faced with it, you know, am I going to divorce this bad trait or am I going to foster and feed this trait? Well, the super secret thing that Lenny doesn't realize because it was a surprise for her and everyone else listening <laughs> is all of these are versions of one another. Yeah. I mean, all of these are, it's not a surprise. I mean, Lenny's a very enlightened person, so I'm sure she knew that, but <laughs> Um, all of these are versions of one another, and I definitely think that divorce has to come and come before death. Um, when it, when we're talking about situations and things like that, Katie mentioned, yeah, relationships with parents too. Absolutely, if you're sequestered with your parents, Jeez. my God, like I, I don't know, Bless I don't know, memories. yeah. 
the thing is, is that I think what it, we're going to realize is that, yes, we all have, um, we all have traits mm -hmm. that are unenlightened. The question is, am I willing to live with your unenlightened traits long-term? Well, that, and are you willing to work on your traits that it's like, say you're like, no, nah, I want to, I want to hang out with you. I want to be with you but I'm not feeling your trait. Are you willing to like work on that and meet me somewhere in the middle? Yeah. Because like yesterday when I was losing my mind, you know, Lenny, it was just like, I'm going to let her have her moment. And then later I'm going to tell her that she needs to calm down because that's not going to work for me, you know? And, and I, and I have to listen to that in order to, 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 because I value my marriage. Um, Katie mentions right now, part of, the stress between parents and children, um, especially parents, older parents and grown children, is the fact that they won't stay at home. You know, like we, we're quarantining, but they are not. And that is really frustrating for a grown, for a grown person because it's, you know what the possibility can be. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that and I also think at some point you just kind of have to be like, well, they're growing ass people too, just like you are, you know, if they are refusing to do what is being asked of them. That's on them at that point. Like as shitty as it sounds and as, as hard as it is, you know, sometimes you just have to let things go and let natural order things, figure things out. Like, I know that sounds super shitty and, you know, but if they're not willing to be the proactive person, if they aren't willing to take the steps in order to self-quarantine and take care of themselves, you you don't have any control or any say in the matter. But what you do have the control of and the say of is your reactions, your feelings. You know, you can give them all the data, all the information and, you know, play the I love you, I'm your daughter, I, I'm your son, I'm your whatever you know, if you're not going to do it for yourself, can you at least do this for me? And if they still refuse not to, they're showing you their truth right there. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it becomes a matter of setting boundaries. And those boundaries are actually not for them. It's to protect you. So you're putting, it's like having like <laughs> a lover that, you know, is only a side piece, right? You're like, oh man, I'm going to marry this guy. Yeah, he's going to be the best husband ever. But at the end of the day, he's like, nah, I, I just, I just want to call you at 2 a.m. and shag. That's it. Yeah, you're going to find out who really cares. So, so you know, like, <laughs> I, I know it's like, it's, it's not the ideal answer, the ideal situation, but that's where their priorities are. And you can't change their priorities. You can only set boundaries for yourself. Yeah, I um, <laughs> dead dead to rights podcast chimed in and said, I just spray people with Lysol <laughs> if they're too close. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an option. <laughs> I, um, I have found myself just stepping back because I feel like people don't realize that six feet thing is a real thing that some folks are observing and, um, and, and, or I'm at home, but like a friend of ours came and, uh, dropped off, um, a lemon tree, uh, that he was gifting us and his, uh, husband is older. And I, and I was just like, you know, I hope 
that y'all are staying home because I, I don't plan on seeing him until this is over because I don't know if I'm a carrier or not. Um, but, but he is having real trouble staying at home, you know, because, um, they're used to being out and about, but yeah, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a step back. I'm not going to spray you with Lysol, but I'm going to want to, but, um, uh, Crystal mentioned, uh, this experience is making so many of us come to real terms with what we have control over indeed. And, uh, and the thing is, is that, uh, we don't have control over death. Yeah. Honestly, we don't have control over anything. No. Control, it's its a figment of our imagination. Well, we have control over our actions. Well, we have control over our actions. And if we're practicing yoga, meditation, and things like that, prayer, then we might have control over how our reactions. Yes. yes. But... That's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I think that people thinking that they have control over anything else is, is really, I think that that's why people explode. And that's why the shadow self breaks through the wall and breaks out of the cave is because it feels like it hadn't had any kind of control for too long. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, I've got control now. It's like, no, you don't. So I definitely see us um, divorcing people, um, divorcing uh uh, spouses and also divorcing, um, people who are toxic. Um, yesterday, this is an introvert's best dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, yesterday I realized that I was super stressed out because I had a lot of, um, people's toxic behaviors all up in my messages. And, um, not all were toxic, but some were, and um, many, were. many were, and <laughs> and because uh, I have a lot of people in my messages all the time, um, I react. I didn't take a pause, so my my unenlightened self did not take a pause before reacting and went into, you know, listening and trying to do the right thing and things like that. And what ended up happening is all of those neuroses um, were transferred into me. And I ended up having the, like the worst day so far in this quarantine. And we're already in week two of it um, just because of other people's unresolved selves showing up and, um, and showing up in mass in my, in my inbox. Um, for me, I think right now a way to prevent, so we'll give some preventative measures as well. Um, a way to prevent divorce between friends um, is to, um, first of all, just take a step back before you send that message. Did you ask, did you get consent from the person who you're talking to, to dump all of your crap on them? Did you consider that the other person on whom you're about to dump all of your crap probably has their own crap that they are going through? Did you consider that before asking them to step into your shit show for lack of better words. Um, because the thing is, is that, so, um, like, you know, people are, are doing a lot, doing the most right now. And what they don't realize is that everybody is going through their own trauma right now. Mm -hmm. Like this is a trauma, a collective trauma for the entire world. And so I am going through my own trauma. Lenny is going through her own trauma. Chris is going through her, everyone listening, we're all going through it right now. 
And so if you come into my inbox with all of your drama, all of your, this is how it's affecting me. This is what I need you to do. This is what needs to happen. This is why my world sucks right now. Did you ask, did you pause to ask the question, do you have space for this right now? Because the truth is, is that a lot of us who are doing things in the world, like sharing healing, sharing compassion, um, looking to uh, help the world um, move into an awakening situation are people who do not have a guaranteed income. And so when people come in with their stuff, we're already just trying to figure out how we're gonna, how we're going to, you know, pay our bills next month. And so when you come in with that, you don't even ask if the person has space to to deal with that or listen to that in that moment. You're just creating another stressor or creating a, a neurotic state for someone else. You're transferring that neurosis. And it is not fair to the, the person who you're talking to. I believe I mentioned when uh, River and I mentioned on the previous podcast episode of getting consent before, getting consent before we um, do anything, before we actually ask to kiss or before we ask to hold a hand or before we ask to really that consent, as he mentioned as well, extends to, hey, I'm I'm having a moment right now and I I really need I need someone to to talk to. Do you have the space for this? Ask the question because I may not. Yesterday I did not have the space for it. And I still kept getting people dumping their their shit on me. And I'm just, just like you know, and then opening of Facebook, there's just more of that. Every time we share negative news, um, that is dumping on people. So now I'm just hiding everyone for 30 days because um, because I can't. Like I just, if you, if I see you posting and sharing negative crap, I am I am hiding you for 30 days. If that's your only post in the last 24 hours, is all negative stuff. We, I can't with you. Um, also, I want to remind callers right, or listeners right now that feel free to call in. I think the call function is working. Yes, it is. So feel free to call in with your thoughts as well. Um, welcome to the conversation, Clifton. I'm so glad you're here. Clifton is joining us from New York City, which is um, a very interesting place to be right now. Hi. <laughs> but going back to what you just said about dumping negative stuff, I think there's a way to tell your truth about the quote unquote city situation that's going on with you without dumping at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's about navigating the, your verbs that you're choosing to use, the nouns that you're choosing to use, like, you know, just being aware that, yeah, like not everything's hunky dory, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to like unload all this crap in your yard as like a burning dumpster fire. I'm just going to be like, yeah. Hey, you got some time 
and like yeah man i'm going through some stuff you want to talk about it yeah like can we just connect on a real level mm -hmm. um do you have space for real or do you need like do you, do we need some lightness right now like can we go real or do you need levity like just ask the question for crying out loud um but definitely i think what not to do is to dump all of like say this is what i need from you and this is all of the crap happening to me right now and i need you to understand that because the, the truth is is that you don't know the crap that that person's going through at that time and that and trying to compare like this is my crappy situation is more crappy than yours is not fair either well not only that like when you're open to having discussion and not just dump you can also find resolutions and yeah. you can see your quote unquote crappy shitty situation in a different vantage point mm -hmm. that maybe you didn't see it before and be like oh maybe i am just overreacting in the moment maybe i am just acting out of fear maybe i'm just acting out of my sh shadow self at 100 percent right now and not actually using my logical thinking mind to like figure this out right like clifton clifton is a friend of mine uh from high school and clifton um is as i mentioned lives in new york city and um and we were talking yesterday about you know how this is all around him like this is all around him right now and um and i did not think about so clifton is a professional singer and 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 you know, I thought about, he, he mentioned to me about, like, even if he were not to have the complications of, um, so Clifton's on this live stream and I feel confident that he's okay with me saying this. Um, and Clifton, you can tell me to shut up right now if you don't want me to, since you're here. <laughs> he says, I'm totally cool. But one of the things that he said is even if, if I were to get this and even if I were to, to, you know, be fine with it or whatever, lung damage is not an option for me. You know, I am, I'm a professional singer. I need 100% of my lung capacity. And so one of the things that I didn't realize was, was that reality of, of what, of what a professional singer's situation is even, you know, just like, just things like that, like having those conversations of just what is this what does life look like right now for you? And what does this mean for you? And just listening. Mm -hmm because we can all learn from the situation and we can all be closer to one another. But that goes back to like people operating out of the ego self and how yes. active listening is a skill that not many people in society have. Like a mm -hmm. lot of people they're like, oh, I hear you. And then they just like unload everything that they were like, all, all the ammo they were building while you were talking instead of actually hearing what you were talking about. So true. I mean, I, and, and it's obvious when it happens. Nobody, <laughs> nobody is, nobody is like taken, you know, by, by surprise when it happens, you know, you know, when someone's listened to what you've said or when they haven't. Um, and um, yeah, so, 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 so far we've discussed two outcomes of this pandemic. The first is death. Um, and the second is divorce. And in, in that we've mentioned death of not only of, of physical death, but also death of joy, um, death of hopes, death of goals, death of dreams um, are, are totally and absolutely plausible right now. Divorce, divorce from a spouse, divorce from other people in your life, people who are toxic and those who 
um, you're seeing for the first time and you decide that you don't want to be involved in those behaviors. And I really think that it's important, you know, I said that one of the things that we can do to avoid divorce of our relationships, our friendships, is to tell the person um, when they do do that, I don't appreciate you dumping on me right now. I have a lot going on and you didn't actually ask me if I could, um, I could actually, if I had space for this. Um, and I think that it's really important for us to actually say those words um, and be honest with one another. And if the friend is a true friend, the friend will say, I hear you. I recognize I didn't get that permission. I'm sorry. In the words of River, consent goes beyond sex. Yes, consent is constant and consistent. We're talking about River Davis, and that's another great podcast episode um, that you can listen to at any given time. Um, so there are those those things that are imminent. Depression is a third outcome of this pandemic. Obviously, if we have experienced death, whether it be physical death or death of joy, or we've experienced loss through divorce of friends or a spouse or whatever, depression can definitely come. Um, depression can definitely come. Depression can seep in because we are sequestered right now. We are quarantined right now. And sometimes the shadow self gets really strong. And these are things that we've worked on in the past. So for sure, people who have been working with or through depression um, can expect for depression to creep back in unless um, there are some very concerted efforts happening to offset that. Um, for me, um, I've, I've not been a person who struggled with depression, but I did find myself in a depressive state twice in my life that I remember. And one was after having my daughter, I went through a very short period of um, postpartum depression. I, it was more like just postpartum anger, like I hated everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Except my daughter. So I was directed more at everyone else, which was a good thing. Um, and then also after the death of my mom, you know, it was really hard and I didn't want to experience joy or experience pleasure. It was really difficult um, to deal with that. And so like, I, 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 I am not a depressive. And so I don't know what that world looks like from that perspective. And I'm not going to try to um, non-depressive spleen, <laughs> what that feels like. But I do know that if we are by ourselves and alone with our thoughts and we're not used to that and we haven't done the work to resolve that, we haven't done work in meditation or we haven't done like restorative yoga where all you do is sit with yourself, then yeah, a depression can for sure creep back in. I mean, I, I don't know. For, for me, my response to that has been being in nature. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I have suffered from a lot of depression, um, you know, first set in when I got back from war. Um, and I do find that, you know, making sure you're, you get plenty of vitamin D, you know, using tools kits from that you've picked up in mental health settings, you know, if you're on meds, make sure you stay on your meds. You don't run out. Um, there's, you know, always call a health professional or a shrink or something that 
you know, someone to talk to if you need to unload something like that, but also get their consent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's just like, if you've done mental health work, you should have a toolkit already built up of some sort. So making sure you're utilizing that toolkit, making sure that you're getting out in nature, you're getting your vitamin D, you know, there's, you know, I know for a fact that if I were to sit down and watch the news, it's a great way for me to spiral. So guess what I don't do? I don't watch the news anymore. Um, and so like, you, you know, what sets you off and what doesn't set you off, you know, in times like this, there's going to be things that you didn't know set you off that will probably set you off. Um, and it's okay to have a day or two where you just kind of like sitting around eating your bonbons and, you know, watching Netflix because that's all you can do. You can't get out of bed. Like, you know, it's, that's the situation that we're living in right now as everything's quarantined down. But at the same time, you can't stay that way. You know, a day, maybe that's fine. Or maybe you give yourself an hour in the morning to cry it out or do what you need to do to get it out of your system. But the point is not to stay in that depressive state because that's how things really set in and lock in. And that's when you get into bigger issues like suicidal thoughts and things like that. Yeah, I um, I, I know for, for, for me personally, like even with me being a person who has had a lot of joy in my life and, and all of that um, and a lot of stability and not stability per se, but a lot stability in terms of um, em emotional stability. Um even for me, like being inside, like spending an entire day inside is hard for me. But when I go outside and I get into nature, I can see the abundance of nature. I can see, and it doesn't have to be sunny. For me, it used mm -hmm. to have to be sunny for me to do that and see it. It had to be a clear day. And if it were a rainy day, then it was gloomy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And now I'm just like, no, I mean, there's an abundance in the sunshine. There's an abundance in looking at the leaves. I, it's not lost on me that at least in the Northern hemisphere, this is happening when we have an abundance of, 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 of good weather, but also springtime, you know, plants are coming back. You know, we can look at a plant and see it blooming and know that that plant was dormant two months ago and that it's possible for things to come back. Well, and also, like, if you think about, like, going back to history, you know, during the Spanish influenza, they would put the patients in mm -hmm. an area with fresh air, with, you know, in nature in order to help them heal because, you know, the air, nature, it's, it's a natural it's medicine. It's a purifier, you know, yeah. Like being stuck, sequestered into recycled air and all that, you're, you're not getting what you need. You know, it's, it's not healthy for you long term. Yeah. No. And what's funny is that I was laughing earlier. I'm like, man, this quarantine has created so much work, man. Cause like we've been outside so much, just like working in the garden or tilling the fields, literally um, moving earth. I'm like, man, this is so much work, this quarantine, but it's exactly what needs to happen. Just being outdoors because there is nothing good that comes from sitting on a sofa indoors mm -hmm. unless you don't have access to outdoors. But I mean, from what I've read and what I've seen, like, you know, even in the worst lockdown quarantine areas, people were still allowed to go out for a walk. 
You yeah, know? I mean, well, so I, like, I'd love to ask Clifton this because you're in New York City, Clifton, if you're still on, like, can you go outside and how is it? Is it scary? Yes. Can you go outside in New York? Like, how does that work? Um, and are you afraid to go outside or can you open a window or is there a terrace? Like how, how, you how are you getting your vitamin D? Yeah. How are you getting your vitamin D? And that is, that is not a euphemism for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so he said that they can go outside, but the parks are overfilled. Hmm. So can you open a window? Like, do you have a terrace and how does that work for, yes, call in Clifton. He said, should I call in? Clifton would be our first caller. I don't know if it'll work well. I mean, and do you necessarily need to go to a park? You know, even if you're just taking a walk down the street or, you know, walking around the block, you know, that's Mm -hmm. still a way to get out side and not like necessarily be super close to someone yeah i'm curious about that clifton would like to call in let's see how we do this connect are you there um am i there can you hear me (laughs) you are here (laughs) hi hi Hi, folks um all very good questions and things that i've been wrestling with myself so um I don't know if you've seen that de Blasio has closed some entire streets to allow people the full use of the street because, as you would imagine, a six-foot social distance in New York City, even when it's practically empty, is still almost impossible. Mm. Um, So the problem is is that the weather's really nice. I think it's 64 degrees and sunny right now. And so the parks are just totally overflowing with people. Um, So even though I do have the ability to go outside, it makes me a little cautious. I don't know. I do have a backyard, though, which is nice. I can go out and stand in the backyard, look around. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I wonder how how it is for people who don't have a backyard, who are in definite cityscape, um what are yeah like a yeah like high-rise style apartments and they don't necessarily have a terrace or something like that right yeah i don't know i i think a lot of those folks are just kind of walking around outside Hmm. and um i don't i don't mean to sound so judgmental about it (laughs) i think people should go outside but it's it's the density here new york is really an outlier you know in the united states it's so dense even if a tenth of the normal people are outside on the sidewalks it's more than almost any other city in the country so um it's it's i don't know i've been talking with friends about how the virus specifically looks in new york city because of eight and a half million people live here and um just doing the math i feel like i don't know i feel like we've got a lot more to possibly go. Um, I don't know. I would love to hear your thoughts. What are your... I mean, you know, for me as a yogi, and thank you so much for um, sharing that. um, For me as a yogi, this is the time in which meditation really kicks in um, Mm -hmm. or to start the meditation practice. Because if if you can't go outside or if you're... um, 
if you're at danger, if you go outside, which it sounds like you could be, you know, being in such a yeah. highly populated place, I think now is the time to create that outdoor experience in the mind. Mm. And so utilizing some uh, visioning uh, meditations is really the way to go, I think, at this point, because um, because there, there, there now is an actual detriment to being out in populated areas, which are going to be the parks because they're still open mm -hmm. and people right. do need to be out outdoors getting something. So yes, yeah. um, it's a hard balancing act. I would yeah. not want to be a public official right now trying to struggle with <laughs> <Right>. these questions. <laughs> I guess that's why they get paid the big bucks, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. Aranti is on and he says hello and what is up as well. Um, and Ronti, I don't know where you're coming from. Tell us where you're coming from. Um, I know for sure it must be a difficult situation in New York and or New York City and also in just places where people are used to being outside all the time. New, New Orleans has also been hit really hard. New Orleans mm -hmm. is one of my heart cities. And, um, and I just, you know, I just wonder how people are coping um, but I, but thank you so much for calling in Clifton and sharing my pleasure. Yeah. You may have more questions later. Maybe you hop on again. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> thank fun. you. Bye-bye. Uh, also, uh, Ronti is here from India and um, really happy to see you on. Feel free to type in your thoughts or questions or even call in. Um, for sure, um, that depressive state, I think, that we were discussing is an, is an outcome of a pandemic. And I think it's, it's um, what we can do to offset it is go out and be in nature. Um, and also, if you can't go outside and be in nature, then to actually practice meditation and create nature in your mind. Mm -hmm. um, I know for me personally, I have several meditations um, that are visioning meditations where you can create that meditation that are attached to previous um, to, to attach to previous um, episodes that are attached to previous episodes. And I encourage you to go on and find those visioning meditations and I'll be posting more as well. Ronti posted the question, is coronavirus biological where, uh, warfare or weapon? And what do I think about it? And my answer is, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think anything is possible, but I definitely um, am not an expert in that. Um, I don't know if, is it, is it, is it far-fetched that coronavirus could be a biological weapon? No, I don't think it's far-fetched. I think that it's, you know, anything is possible. But what I think about, what I do know for sure is that I think that tapping into what we don't know that creates fear and anxiety is actually very dangerous, more dangerous than coronavirus. Yeah. I think that when we create anxiety in others and we create fear in others, we are definitely operating out of our shadow selves and um, we are creating death. We are creating depression and we are creating separation in the world. 
Um, and I think that um, his question was also, what is the condition of the U.S.? Um, the U.S. is in the same condition in, uh, as everywhere else, where there's a lot of misinformation, there's a lot of information, and there's a lot of people getting sick, and there are some people dying from it. Um, that is the condition right now. And, um, and I think that there will be a lot more before there aren't. So we don't know where the peak will be. The U.S., for those of you listening from other countries, and actually for people listening here, <laughs> the U.S. is, is, is the size of uh, half of Europe. And so when we're considering the U.S., we actually need to remember that the United States are literally United States, very similar to the European Union. And so every state is like a um, is like it's like a country. So Texas would probably be the size of um, God. I don't even know. Texas is the size of several European countries. Mm -hmm. um, and so each state has a priority to deal with the, the pandemic in its own way at its own local level. And so it's really hard to speak to the condition of the U.S. because the U.S. is not. That would be like saying, what's the condition of the European Union? Some states are hit really hard right now, like New York, California, and Louisiana. And, oh, thank you, Katie. Katie said France and Texas are similarly sized. <laughs> um, so, um, so, yeah, so Texas and France similarly sized and similar, similar issues um, in both of them. France is a kissing country and Texas is a hugging state. So uh, Ronti said to pray for the whole world, absolutely. And thank you so much for the love from India to the people of the United States. How are things in India right now? How are, how are things going over there? If you can give us an update on India. Um, so, so yes, um, um, Ronti is, is sending his love to, to everyone and sending his prayers to everyone. That this is the beauty of, um, of a pandemic is that whereas we can go to divorce, death, and depression, we can also go into that connectedness mm -hmm. that is available as well. While we're getting that response from Ronti, I'll move on to the fourth um, possible outcome, and that is addiction. And mm -hmm. for sure, we have... That archetype that everyone has. Yes, we all have it. We all have it. We all have an addiction in us. It's just waiting for to rear its ugly head, you know. Um, we all have addictive personalities in one way, shape, or form. Some of us have done the work to reduce that. Others have not. Mm -hmm. Some of us thought we did, and what's showing up now <laughs> is not. Um, and uh, oh, Ronti said that the the same condition in the in India is uh, the same conditions of the U.S. that conditions of the U.S. and India are similar. Mm. Uh, thank you. Man Cave Musings just um, showed up and he's a self-admitted alcoholic, he's saying. And um, I mean, I just wonder how, um, you know, if you're on lockdown or if you're in quarantine, how's that going? Yeah. You know, um, I think this is this is really tough for each of us. And for some of us, those behaviors can be really deadly. Mm 
Well, yeah, and I also think that just like we were speaking earlier, you know, some days are going to be worse than others. Like where everyone was, you know, unloading on you yesterday. So, you know, you were having your, your moment, um, you know, processing all that and coming out. Like if you have an addiction that runs you at times, you know, like it, as a default, it might be easy to fall back into that. But if you're, doing the work to change that addiction into something else or to like work on that part of your personality, you know, like, um, how does that look? How does that play out? It, some days will be good. Some days will be bad, mm-hmm. but at the same time, just cause you have a bad day, you just, you, you, if you note that bad day and then you go, all right, well, today's a different day and what choice am I going to make? So just taking day by day, um, is in my opinion, the way way to do it but i mean yeah well you're you and i appreciate that man cave musing said um he's working at work but also working on himself i think that many of us who aren't working right now um are faced only with ourselves and that can really be that can really be detrimental if we're if we're not doing a lot of work um on ourselves at the moment yeah, yeah, like self-work and not like self-massage or something like that. But like, as you were mentioning, um, you know, I, you know, if we're like switching that, switching off from like food addiction and switching on to meditation addiction or switching off from alcohol addiction and switching on to God workout addiction. addiction or God addiction. Yeah, which definitely happens, yes. right? Like... <laughs> Yeah, religion addiction, I would say. I don't even think it's a God addiction. I think it's a religion addiction that can happen. And then proselytizing to everyone. I've had people who have had food addictions um, who have switched their diets and now are proselytizing their new way of eating and like bemoaning that to others or saying, well, work out, or where's your, what's your excuse, or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you are projecting your, your food addiction, or your, or your um, bulimia, or your whatever it is, onto other people right now. That's really not being helpful. Um, Man Cave Musing said, um, his daughter has anorexia, is in therapy, and he has learned to listen and acknowledge. Oh my gosh, you sound like an amazing dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and validating what she said, uh, he, he's meant to say, validating what she says and how she feels. Um, that goes back to the point earlier that we made about, you know, actually listening and not just reacting when someone's speaking to you. Yeah. I mean, I think for sure, for me, I, I've, I've, um, had it, uh, struggled with, um, not only like sugar addiction, but also with, um, just wanting to be liked mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, on a, on a deep level and on a lasting level. And, um, so when people have dumped on me, like without getting permission and they've dumped on everything that they're going through as though I'm not going through anything else. Uh, I know for, for me yesterday, I listened and I took all of that stress because that trigger of not wanting to disappoint someone came up. Mm-hmm. And that caused hella stress for me because 
Um, instead of just saying, I don't have space for this right now, I just did what was, I did what I do. Um, uh, Man Cave Musings said, yeah, like also um, what w he was acknowledging what you were saying, Lenny, about listening, but not hearing. So um, for sure, I think that we can go into those addictive states. And for me, what has been helpful to is to just pause. Mm. I'm just trying to pause before going into reaction, reaction with what I put in my mouth or reaction with what I say or reaction with what I do. Just, just step into the pause for a moment and just, 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 you know, just ask the question, is this what I really want to do? Or is this, um, is this how I want to be? Like, what? how is this getting me closer to how I want to be? And also ask, is this coming from my id or my higher self as well? Yeah, like, is what, yeah, what part of me, what do I really want right now? What, what am I serving? Yeah. Um, Man Cave Musings um, at, uh, also said that um, he and his daughter um, were always connected he says attached at the hip but now they are even closer that's so cool just because you're listening and the thing is is that the the thing is is that we all just want to be seen heard and validated or seen heard and and loved some of us interpret love as validation some of us interpret love as personal time some of us interpret love as um just being accepted well, I think it depends on what your personal love language is, is mm -hmm. how that plays out. Because yeah. everyone has their own love language that they associate with. Yeah, for sure. And for those of us who are, our love language is quality time or personal time, this is a struggle for us right now. Um, which that's that's my number one love language, so it's definitely uh, a problem. Um, but I know that it'll end. Um, Chris said, um, she said, thank you for sharing the idea of someone with an addictive personality moving from one activity to another. She hadn't thought of religiosity as an addiction, but, oh, totally. oh it's a definitely an addiction. And, and I will tell you, Chris, as you are more and more, Chris is a part of the local Houston yoga community. As you dig deeper into the yoga community, you'll see a lot of that religiosity as an addiction. Um, it resonates with her as she absorbs the energy of others she's come across who have that tendency with religion. And by us sharing our stories, she's reflecting even further on her own addictions, however strong they may be. So thank you. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for like being, you know, honestly sharing. And, and also with uh, Man Cave Musings, thank you. Because the, the, the thing is, is that I think we have an option here to be very um transparent, transparent. and that transparency it's it's so healing it is. like it's, it, wearing masks and switching masks it's it's hard it's like mm -hmm. if we kind of double back to depression where like i know for me when i was in my worst of the worst it took so much energy to just like push all those feelings all that everything I was just trying to keep at bay down that I couldn't do anything else. It just took every ounce of energy out of me every day. Mm -hmm. But when you start living an authentic, transparent life, mm -hmm. like 
you don't have to remember lies. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like even. I'm not talking about like big lies or anything like that. I'm yeah, just, just about, the like, little like, ones. Like little transgressive yeah. lies. Where like if someone's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "No, I'm not okay today." But thank you for asking. Tomorrow mm-hmm. will be a different day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of those things like it takes energy from you. Yes. And, you know, where are you trying to use your energy? Are you trying to use your energy to better yourself, to better society, or are you trying to use your energy to hide? Yeah, in which and men came using used um, the term vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're all vulnerable and being honest and transparent, you know, not only does it give other people permission to do the same, but also we know we're not alone. We know we're not alone because we all we all are we all have our things. We all have our we all have our addictions. We all have our problems. We all have our shadow selves. We all have our strengths. Yes, we all have them all. And collectively, if we're all, you know, vulnerable together, honest together, transparent together, then we are strong. I mean, it's like, it's like plexiglass, you know, it's super hard to go through that. He says, not always showing a happy face when you're not exactly. That's a match that I was just speaking to. Yeah. Chris said, um, when you tell that little I'm fine response, when you know you may not be having a great day, it helps no one. Um, Someone I know always says, oh, I'm tired or I wasn't feeling well. And the reality is that, no, I'm I'm in a depressed state. What is a more honest response? And the thing is, is that we can't even support each other unless we're like in a place where we're being honest yeah. with one another. Because you can think you're supporting someone when really, because they aren't coming to you in an honest state, you know, you're coming to them in the state that they're giving you, like like the, the mass that they're giving you. So if you try mm-hmm. to lend a hand or lend some sort of um, knowledge to them in that state, like it really could not even apply because they haven't been honest and forthcoming where they really are. Yeah. And you know what, for me, when I know someone is wearing a mask, I trust them so much less. The thing is, is that people who can see through that, who are in your life. And we have a lot of those people in our lives because people who can see through our own BS are really important for our own growth. So if we're in growth mode, we have people who can see, call us on our BS in our lives. And um, when we, when we know that that person's lying to us, we trust, uh, I'll speak for myself. When I know someone is lying to me about their state of being or their, their mindset or whatever, I trust that person less. Mm-hmm. It, helps, it helps me see that person for where they are right now, and I trust the person less. And um, it doesn't mean that I cut them out of my life or whatever, but it just means that I don't feel as comfortable being vulnerable with that person. Because well, you have to second guess motives yeah. and everything else so that goes into a whole nother tangent. Exactly. Exactly. So if you're just coming into the episode, we've mentioned um, four of the five possible outcomes of a pandemic. And I didn't even put possible. I said the outcomes, <laughs> um, which are death, divorce, depression, and addiction. And all of those things have layers. So um, not just, you know, physical death, for example, death of, of um, relationships and, and, and to, of those things. So death, divorce, depression, and addiction. And then, of course, and then we have a fifth. And that fifth is an awakening. Like, realistically, the world goes through massive, colossal, and collective shifts to awaken 
That is what the history of the world has shown us. The history of the world. If we go back to Pangaea, if we go back to Ice Age, there were massive shifts that occurred as a result of that giant global what situation. There were shifts with the plague. There were shifts with the Spanish flu. There were shifts with, you know, if we look at the plague, which is an awesome example to look at, we're looking at the foundation of the, or such a, an, uh, uh, an important part of, of the Middle Ages. Um, if we look at what came after that, we had to go through this, all of, all, everyone went through this, this giant um, um, pandemic. And then what happened after that? The Renaissance. Yeah, but I don't know. I agree and disagree as that's something that happened because you always have the people that are resistant to. Oh, for sure. To the information. Yeah. Like the majority of people will have like a little wake up call, but some of those people will also like backslide into old habits even after the wake up call. And then, you know, like the Renaissance folk, so to say, mm -hmm. if we're sticking with your um, connection, you know, like those are the ones that are going to thrive and help push society forward again. Yeah. So well, there'll always be the naysayers and, and like the conspiracy theories and things like that, that those people, they're, they're the people that aren't willing to do the work with the knowledge that they've learned. Yeah, what happened in the Renaissance, that the ones who did, that that's what has persisted. True. You know, yeah. so the thing is, is that, thank you so much, Man Cave Musings. Go back to work. Thank you, and feel free to tune back in later and love you too. Um, if you look at the, the Renaissance, you know, all of the people who did the work, who got creative in the, creative in the work, they all ended up creating something that persisted. All of the people who have just, uh, chosen the thing, here's the thing of those four things, of those five things that divorce, depression, addiction, and awakening, all of those are possible for all of humanity. So that means that some folks are going to die. Some relationships are going to end. Some depression is going to happen. Some addictions are going to creep up and some people are going to awaken. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to yeah. divorce. Everyone's going to be depressed. Everyone's going to be addicted and everyone's going to awaken. But everyone will have some sort of ratio of all of that or some of that. Yeah. Or, yeah, if they're being honest, I think that if everyone has, I think if you if you put it in mathematical terms and you have a 20% chance of, let's say, a death of a sort or being depressed or, or divorcing some other, some people who you realize don't need to be in your life or, or being, having your addiction show up or awakening, then, then I think that's where choice comes in to acknowledge like, okay, this is, this is what it is. This is come into observer mode. These are, these are the five possibilities. It is very likely I'm going to experience a bit of this in all of it, but we know that 100% isn't, isn't stagnant. Mm -hmm. So why would I lean into addiction? Or why would I lean into depression? Or why would I lean into death of my joy or doing things that expose me so that I perhaps am, die physically? 
Why would I lean into those things as opposed to leaning into awakening? I think that those folks who, yeah, I mean, it's a choice, right? It's a choice that everyone will get a chance to have, I think. And I think if we're thinking, if we're, if we're observing and we actually acknowledge this is what's possible, this is what's not possible, then we can lean into awakening. But I don't think we can spiritually bypass those other things. No. I, th I think that you're absolutely right in that we will experience all those other things and we have to, to get to awakening. And mm -hmm. the question is, where will we stay? So are we gonna stay in, the, in that, that separation mode? Or are we gonna stay in the depressive mode? Are we gonna stay in the addictive mode, the death mode, or are we gonna go into awakening mode? Yeah, it's very similar to the five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, you don't get out of grief until you go through all the stages. And some mm -hmm. people stay in certain areas longer. Some people get stuck and need to seek, you know, outside intervention mm -hmm. or medication to get them through that. But if they actually venture through all stages of grief, then the outcome, you know, you become whole again at, at the end. Yeah. And I think that uh, Chris has mentioned here, the awakening will happen by going through the things. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's not fun. She's just like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely not a fun experience. The work experience. is never fun. The work is not <laughs> fun, but the, the, but the result is amazing. Yes. And, the thing is, is there are people who are trying to spiritually bypass right now by just like, well, I'm just going to stay prayed up. God will get us through it. Or I'm just going to meditate through it and whatever. And it's like, okay, yes. And, but you also, this is also a time to invite death of certain habits, mm -hmm. um, of certain um, don't you anymore. Yeah, like to invite death into those things. This is an opportunity to invite a divorce of those those habits or the people who don't who you've outgrown yeah. um, or who are not leveling up with you. Mm -hmm. And so finding people who are um, acknowledging that and maybe you don't have the people necessarily identified who do up level you. Um, I'm fortunate. And then I have a lot of people who are way beyond me. And, and those are people who I can be with as I'm looking to divorce, um, you know, other things um, and behaviors and people who need to go to the, to the margins of my social circle or the margins of my life. Um, when um, when it comes to you know depression, acknowledging that we have all those depressive states mm -hmm. in us, that we have moments of grief and moments of loss, and it's it's price of admission, mm -hmm. it's price of admission to being in relationship with humanity, is that we and being in relationship with ourselves mm -hmm. to come into wholeness is going to rely upon us acknowledging the things that don't feel good and stop trying to spiritually bypass depression. You know, I, I there's a person I know who's, who um, had a, uh, who lost a parent and is constantly posting only things that are happy go lucky. And I, I'm just like, why are you, you know, I know that things aren't happy go lucky all the time, you know, with you being 
honest um, and being not happy-go-lucky all the time, that's such a pathway for others to, to be okay with that as well. So um, I think that spiritual vibration, by, bypassing of, di of depression is what then seeds addiction. Mm -hmm. It seeds addiction to perfection or seeds addiction of all of the, of course, chemical addictions and, and the emotional addiction co um codependencies and things like that and all of those addictions are then seeded and then all of a sudden we're stuck putting out of our 100 percent instead of having a 20 percent experience now everything's going to 80 percent there in that addiction area so we have to experience and acknowledge our grief our fear our anxiety or whatever that we're feeling right now and then as you said you know get out of it yeah. by stepping outside, looking at the abundance of the leaves, looking at the abundance of grass, when it rains, looking at the abundance of water, you not know. Like, it's almost like not what I can't do, but what can I do? Yeah, and reframing those questions, reframing the questions of like, you know, instead of, instead of what, yeah, what it is impossible, it's like, what is possible from here is the question. With awakening, we, I have identified a few ways that we can awaken. We will awaken in our relationships. So we will have new, thriving, powerful relationships that are inspired, that are passion-driven, that are beautiful and are, um, are, are bolstering um, our whole selves. Mm -hmm. So we will have that. I think that we will have an awakening of creativity if we give ourselves the opportunity to be creative. Um, a person that I know has started painting in this mm -hmm. pandemic and is, mind you, creating beautiful art that I want to buy. Um, um, and so, like, I was just like, wow, you know, this is incredible. Um, and so there's there's that 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 can awaken in us dormant passions can awaken. So all of the things that we gave up for other people mm -hmm. or all of the things we gave up for the job that takes too much of our time or all of the things we gave up for the things that are outside of ourselves, those dormant passions can be reborn now and we can now go into whatever that is, whether it's writing, singing, learning how to, relearning how to play the flute or the violin or, you know, learning how to paint, learning how to weld, whatever, you know, doing some carpentry, gardening. For me, it's gardening. Uh, that's something I never thought I was going to be capable of doing. And now I'm creating this like 1600. I think it's, I don't even know how big this garden is now. I think it's 1600 square feet. 40 by 40. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a huge garden, you know, is being created. Um, this passion for like live radio is happening because that this is something I did in college. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this now and take callers. Um, Chris says she started writing poetry again. So like all of these dormant passions can come up. One of our really good friends, his name is Eric Fiumano, who's a local artist here in Houston, um, is creating these beautiful watercolors right now. Um, and he's going to be creating some art at the Ranch Houston, which is mine and Lenny's um, endeavor that we've created together. So you'll be able to see his art out there. 
And um, just him having time um, reminded us that he's available. <laughs> and then and then also the spiritual self, of course, has the opportunity to awaken. Yeah. So when we give these opportunities for, for, for us to step into to shift to awakening rather than letting things die, um, there's a meme out there that says that King Lear was written during while um, Shakespeare was um, <laughs> was um, uh, sequestered or quarantined. Shakespeare didn't was a baby when the when the plague was happening, so that's not historically accurate. However, the plague did inspire um, some of his great works. So we for sure have, um, and of course, as I mentioned the entire renaissance was born out of the out of the plague well, yeah. oh it was religious oppression, but, you know. religious oppression well no it was born out of the plague because that was happening before the religion i mean religious oppression was happening as well but actually religious oppression happened more during the the renaissance and during the baroque period than it did during the middle age middle ages because if we look at the middle ages as the time of the crusades this is the time of um of the um the expansion of the ottoman empire so and uh, actually not the expansion of, yeah this iconic period where like you weren't allowed any oh yeah imagery. yeah so the imagery happened in the renaissance which was right after the iconic period Oh, was it? Yeah. Those are the Visigoths, I think, who were like, no, we don't want any icons. So uh, Lenny is a sculptor here in Houston, an educator, and um, is an art historian. And I am a historian, as you guys know, yogi and uh, spiritual director. Um, I've recently come out of the spiritual director closet because I didn't want anyone to know I was a spiritual director for like 10 years. Um, but actually I am. So, um, so yeah, so that's happening and educator, but yeah, so, but, but the thing is, 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 is if we look at, first of all, the Renaissance is what gave the, the title, the middle ages to the middle ages. Yeah. So that's not even like a legit title, unless you're looking at it only from a Renaissance perspective. But the point is, is that all of the things that we remember, like the things, the reasons why we travel to go to museums and all that nine times out of 10, we're going to go see Renaissance pieces. Um, unless of course you're a big fan of the Baroque period like me, but, um, those are the, the, and the enlightenment had to happen after the Baroque period, you know, where everything felt broken and people were losing their spirit, spirit, the enlightenment happened. People started, you know, created revolutions, revolutions of thought, revolutions of, of, of life, like just getting out of getting out of oppressive states, you know, getting out of other people saying this is you know, God deemed this person as your king, therefore this must happen. And people are like, you know what? I don't think God did that. I think you did that. You know, the decline of the aristocracy comes in, into play during the, the enlightenment period. And people start creating things that look more realistic during this time frame, instead of creating these hyperbolic situations that aren't real. So, you know, in the world, as the world has shifted, you know, and like we have this opportunity to enlighten. And the question that I will leave all of you with is, where are you? You know, are you, are you going to shift or are you going to stay? Because I think the choice 
is going to, if you choose to stay, you're going to be in one of those other, in those other four areas. But if you shift with the world by doing the work of those other four areas, if we shift with the world, then we, we, you will enlighten. We will all enlighten. We will all move forward. And everyone isn't going to enlighten. Everyone is not going to awaken. Everyone isn't going to shift. And there are going to be some, some casualties, whether it be French relationships or actual human loss, there will be some casualties. And so I think that's the big question that each person has to answer. And I think it's a very personal answer. And this may not be the time for your, your enlightenment or for your awakening, but the op opportunity is there. So that is uh, the question with which I will leave you all. And um, I have really appreciated all of the interaction from you guys in this very first live. I encourage you to listen to this from the beginning if you've missed it so that you can hear the five outcomes of a pandemic. Um, this is, uh, I thank my co-host who is also my wife, Lenore Castamiller, Lenny Castamiller, whose art can be found at lennycastamiller.com and can also be found um, on Instagram at lennycm. And I thank all of our participants in our live stream and Clifton for calling in and, and others. And uh, please feel free to message me directly to send other thoughts or topics about what you'd like to um, speak and uh, what you would like to have me go live for. Subscribe, please, to this because I'll be going live again. And thank you. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you, Chris, for those lovely words. And uh, thank you so much. This is Tamika Castamiller coming from Houston, Texas with Ashe Yoga. And I look forward to having you again. It's my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. Namaste.